If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I want to talk with you today about the power of prayer. This is a very, very important topic. We really do need prayer during these days. There's a lot of things that are off kilter and out of shape and going the wrong direction. And we really do need to pray together as the people of God. Let's look together at the scripture. Is there any among you that are suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick man. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain. And the earth brought forth its fruit. The main thrust of this section is obviously the power of prayer. There are a lot of things in these verses that we've read this morning, but the main thing is the power of prayer and its appropriateness in every situation of life. I know everybody here today is in a different situation. And every one of us, no matter what our situation, needs to remember daily the way that I can enhance the situation, the way that I can build a better bridge to others and to the Lord, is to pray. Uh, That's just the bottom line. Prayer is encouraged of times of distress, in verse 13. In times of elation, in verse 13. In times of sickness, in verse 14. In times of sin, in verses 15 and the first part of 16. And in assisting fellow Christians in striving for righteousness and spiritual help, in verse 16. The theme of the entire section is summarized in the second part of verse 16, which affirms the power of prayer generally. Generally, that's what we all need in all the situations in life that we face. Prayer is very, very important, but it doesn't always work out like we want it to. Uh, A young man and his date were out on uh, Lover's Lane. It was late at night. They were in the car parked there. The fellow really, really loved the girl. He loved her with all of his heart. He said, honey, I might not have as much money as Tommy Smith, but I love you with all of my heart. There was a pause. The girl said nothing. The young man said, I might not be as handsome as Tommy Smith, but I sure do love you. Love you with all my heart. The girl said nothing. There was a pause. 
The young man said, I might not have a new sports car like Tommy Smith, but I love you with all my heart, and I pray and pray and pray that we will spend every day of the rest of our lives together. There was a pause. And finally, the girl said something. She said, uh, well, I love you too, but tell me more about Tommy Smith. (laughs) Sometimes when we pray, we might be praying for the wrong thing. Did you know that? Sometimes we we get off course, we get off of the right road, and we pray for the wrong thing. I'm sure everybody here in the house this morning realizes that there have been times when you fervently prayed uh, for the thing that really was not in the center of God's will. That happens. The first question James raises relates to those who are suffering. Now, we have a lot of people in our church that are sick now, that get sick. We had a tragic situation in our church family this last week. Some of the members of the Humphreys family shot and killed the man and wife and even killed their dog. And it was just unbelievably horrible. And we need to have them right in the center of our prayers and lift them up as they try and straighten out the mess uh, that has been left. This is probably best interpreted uh, to endure a hardship. Uh, We can understand it as discouragement. We can understand it as, as going through a very, very difficult time in our lives that hardship inspires. You know, hardship inspires some things in us. Depression, sadness, uh, grievous uh, situations and attitudes. Uh, Often, uh, our Lord wants us to spend time really praying when we're suffering, when we're disappointed, when we're downcast. He wants us to pray in that particular situation. Then the next question of James, is any cheerful? Are there those in the family of God that are really, really cheerful today? It focuses so clearly on one's attitude. In every attitude, we are to praise God and pray and lift up the name of Jesus as best we can. This perspective allows verse 13 to be translated in this way. If anyone is discouraged, is depressed, he ought to pray. He just ought to bow his head and pray. If anyone is elated, he ought to sing praise, sing a hymn to God and thank God for the many, many blessings that we have. These two extremes of attitude really bracket all of life. Everything that we face, that we're involved in, comes between these two points. Between suffering and elation. Everything is in there. James calls on men to pray when things go wrong. 
and to pray when all is going well, that they are so elated. Prayer is not to just be for the spiritual moaning that we want to do. I want you to think back now. How many times have you recently prayed just when things were wrong? Just when things in your life were going the wrong direction and you prayed during that time and and tried to elicit from the Lord his help and guidance. But you didn't remember to pray when the Lord had blessed in such a wonderful way. We shouldn't just be doing the spiritual moaning of the suffering. It's also a song of jubilant and victorious faith that ought to come from our mouth as we thank God for all the wonderful things he's done. The third question James poses apparently refers to a situation when the Christian is down and out and and deathly sick, very, very critically ill, is in a situation when he doesn't even feel like he has the strength to pray. When one is this sick, this physically ill, prayer is still the prescription. That's the prescription that we ought to take from our Almighty Lord and to use that in our daily walk with Him. James discusses the power of prayer of the elders of the church whom the Christian is to call for. You're to ask for help. You're to ask for those that will come and pray with you and be with you and stand with you and lift you up in their heart and arms. The elders of the church probably refers here to the eldest and most respected members of the congregation who also had a specific role in the church as its appointed officers. Jewish communities also recognized elders in that day, and the procedure James describes reflects this Judaistic uh, beginning and custom. The practice of the Jewish community was for the village of elders to visit the dangerously ill person, the person that was literally on their deathbed, to pray with him. If the person was able, he prayed with the elders. If not, then he prayed in his heart or her heart while they prayed for the one that was so desperately ill. Now this is a good custom. It's one that has lived in the Christian church through all these ages. We do it in our church. We go to the home or to the hospital, some of the deacons, some of the folks that knew and loved this person very, very well, and we go to the bedside and we pray for them and ask God to help them and to bless them. Now, we don't have an official title where we list in our bulletin a group of elders. We don't do it that way. Uh, We call those folks deacons, and the staff of our church are, in a way, ministers that you might call elders, that you might call uh, deacons, that you might call leaders of faith. We have people in our church that are elders. Ed Schaefer is an elder 
Uh, he's a long-time Christian, has served the Lord over all these years. Where's Ed? Is Ed here? Where's Ed? There he is over there. Now, Ed has been in ministry how many years? 62 years. Now, he's an elder in our church. He doesn't have that title, by, but he's an elder. Brother, Dr. Laidlaw is here today. Uh, Ross, how many years were you in the ministry? 64 years. I'm a newbie. I have 54 years. <laughs> Ross is still called upon by people in our church for advice and counsel. He's an elder in our church. Jim Feast and Tom and I uh, try to give spiritual hope and guidance uh, uh, to those that are in need of that. And it's a very important thing that we do. Some of our elder statesmen in this church, as I look out over the congregation, I see some people that have been serving the Lord for 60, 70 years even. And you, of course, by virtue of your life and your testimony, your knowledge of the Word of God, you're elders as well. And we're thankful for each one of you. Well, as we... See the text, it says, that the elders uh, anoint him with oil. This was a first century custom. It's mentioned in Mark 6, 13 and in Luke 10, 34. But the medicinal use is not meant here in James because the person is only anointed, symbolically touched. Uh, when I do it, I always put a little oil on on one finger and touch the head of the individual. It, it is not rubbed in. The oil is not rubbed in. It is not poured on. It is not taking, taken internally as in uh, medicinal utilizations. It's not used in that way. The symbolic use of the oil to represent the healing power and presence of God is indicated by the fact that the anointing is done in the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. The use of the name along with the oil makes it a religious rite, not a medical rite. James is not so much instructing Christians as to what they should do in severe illness as he is in illustrating to them his stress on the power of prayer. That's the bottom line, the power of prayer. As you call for folks that you know and love to come together with you and pray for you and lift you up. In our church on Wednesday night, we spend a good deal of time. Uh, Dr. Tom gives a good message in the Word of God, and then we have a season of prayer, praying for those in our church that are ill, praying for those that are really on death's door. And we lift them up and pray for them. The early Christians were doing what James described. And he is not instituting a procedure here. His point is that prayer works. It works. The prayer of faith. Not the elders, not the oil. It's the prayer of faith that brings the healing. 
as we try and reach out and help in the ministry to this sick person. The Lord, it says, will raise him up. The statement that the sins of the person will be forgiven probably refers to the fact that the illness in view was related to the person's sin. Uh, In John 9, verses 1 and 2, not all sickness was thought to be due to sin in that day, but some of it was. The illness was often related to the wickedness that was unforgiven. You know, sometimes uh, people in our society start taking illegal drugs, and they get more addicted and more addicted and more addicted, and they... Uh, then don't care a great deal about coming to church. They don't care a great deal about their husband or wife or their children or their, even their dog. They don't care about this. They don't care about that. They only care about getting more illegal drugs. You know, when we need to pray for our friends, is at the beginning of that process, not at the very end when everything is in disrepair. We need to begin at the first. Unfortunately, this passage has been misused in the context of both faith healing and in church ceremony. James does not intend to say, does not intend to say, that this procedure would cure every fatal illness for the Christian. This would make this text absurd. It's obviously not the meaning. It is absurd by forcing it to teach that Christians could escape death. You know, if you get real sick and you ask folks to come and pray for you and you always get well, then what about the next time? Obviously, you would do it again and you would do it again. And guess what? You would never die. You would live forever. Some people misuse this text, and they say, well, this uh, really uh, is the healing formula. That's all we need to do. That's not the thrust of this text. The thrust of this text is the power of prayer in reaching into the heart of the individual, helping them, helping them to turn away from sin if they have grievous sin in their life, to turn toward the Lord, to turn toward His church, to turn toward the people of God, and to serve with them and to love with them. Well, uh, James is reflecting procedures in the first century. It's not a mandate for avoiding responsible medical care. You know, there are some people today in America that have a belief system that says, don't take your kids to the doctor when they get sick. Just pray for them at home. That is not what this text is saying. When those people have a child that dies from something that they could have easily cured at the doctor's office is reprehensible, is terrible, is horrible. And certainly we don't want to foster that idea or have that idea in our heart or in our church. 
The abiding value of James is the stress that man should depend on God in sickness. And the tragedy of many modern persons is that they don't uh, call on God. They just call on the physicians. You can go the wrong way both ways. If you just, if you just call on the physicians, then you're not ministering and helping uh, the one in your care and the one that you love, and the one that you're trying to look out for. The custom James described belonged to the earliest Christian church in a Jewish setting. Although it is no longer a part of the culture of most people, the ancient practice does have an abiding affirmation. Man's life and health are ultimately in God's hands. In God's hands. And man should call upon God and ask others that he knows in his church family, in his friendship circles, to come and in his hour of need to pray for them. The therefore, in verse 16, is based on the efficacy of prayer in all three of these situations that James mentions in verses 13 and 14. Because prayer is meaningful and effective in depression, in exaltation, in sickness, Christians should confess their sins to one another. Now, we don't have priests in our church. We don't have a confessional booth over here in some side room. We don't do that. But what we do need to do and what we do need to share is a friendship with someone that we trust, that knows the Lord, that walks with the Lord, that we can call upon in times in our life when we desperately need to have somebody uh, laying hands of faith upon us. We need that. Every one of us here in the house this morning needs that. Uh, We need to be accountable to someone. You know, in today's world, people in America, they don't want to be accountable for anything. I'm sure that you know that people are not joining things like they used to. Uh, They're not uh, joining all the various clubs here in Sun City Center. A lot of the clubs, frankly, are folding because people are just not coming. They're not joining. Many of those uh, groups that have been helpful in society for a long time are closing their doors. The emergency squad has had to cut down on time uh, that they're in service because not enough people have volunteered to help. And that is such a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And we need to support that in every way that we can. People are not joining churches like they have in years gone by. And we need to do that to show our uh, relationship to the Lord, to his family. Uh, The word of God encourages us to be a part of the family of faith. So many things. We need to be accountable. Accountable to somebody. You know, in our discipleship ministry, uh, accountability is taught. That's very important. That we are accountable to somebody. That we're not making up our own rules and having no uh, further uh, help from anybody else. Just doing whatever we want to do 
on our own all the time. The latter part of verse 16 summarizes the theme of this entire section. And it is a general statement about the power of prayer. The term prayer is the supplication of the righteous man, the righteous lady, the righteous person, the righteous Christian that is considered. Such prayer has great power. Now, if that's not underlined in your Bible, you ought to get your pen out right now and underline it. It has great power. And every one of us here in the house today, there are times in our lives when we need great power. We need the power of God to help us and to lead us and to direct us, our footsteps, our words, and all that we are becoming. The term translated in its effects can be understood to mean when God makes it effective. That's when it's effective, when God makes it effective, our prayer of faith. If something is wrong in our life, if we know that we are beginning down the wrong road, we need to get with a Christian brother, a Christian sister, and before we get too far down that wrong road, We need to ask them, plead with them to pray with us and to pray for us. Maybe in your Sunday school class. Maybe in your Bible study group. Maybe on Wednesday night. I remember one night in a church in Dallas, uh, one of the most prominent people in, in the church got up at prayer meeting and mentioned some terrible sin that he had done. He said, I need for you all to pray for me about that. And, you know, everybody was just kind of amazed that this guy, a very, very prominent person in the city, would have said that. And lo and behold, before they could all get a hold of themselves, a lady on the other side of the room said, well, I've done this. And it was a terrible thing. And she said, I need the body of Christ to lift me up and to pray for me. And then revival broke out. Then people all throughout that group in the Wednesday night prayer meeting began to stand and say, well, I've gotten on the wrong trail, and I have done this, and I need your prayer. And because of that service and those confessional statements, And that pleading for prayer, the power of prayer in their life, that church dramatically changed in a one-hour period of time. And they became a dynamo for the Lord Jesus in that part of Texas. You know, if we're going to keep everything a secret, we're not going to get any help. Nobody's going to know what to come uh, to you for. Nobody's going to know that you desperately need an outstretched hand, a word of grace, not only from the Lord, but from their friends. That James is drawing on first century tradition is clear here from his reference to Elijah praying, which was a current Jewish interpretation of the passage in 1 Kings uh, 17.1. Uh, For three years and six months, it did not rain. 
Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't. It didn't rain. It stopped raining. The popular conception of Elijah in the first century was that he was almost superhuman. Everybody loved Elijah. Everybody looked up to Elijah. Everybody thought that Elijah was probably the the finest man outside of the Lord Jesus that was ever born. I mean, he he was high on everybody's list. Mark 9, 11 talks about him being there at the end of time. Elijah. James makes his illustration forceful by stating that Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves. What he's saying is he was not some superman. He was not some uh, ex-man. He was not some unreal thing. He was a man just like we are. But he had yielded himself to God. Yielded himself completely to the Lord. And the Lord reached in him and through him to do dramatic, dramatic things. Because of that prayer, the cycle of nature was altered. It didn't rain for three and a half years. And then when Elijah prayed that it would rain, it did rain after three and a half years. This should encourage us to pray that the nature of our existence, perhaps the nature of the person beside us even this morning here in this church, that their nature would be altered in such a way through the power of prayer that their lives would be turned in a Godward direction. This morning, think with me about the power of prayer. If you have never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, this would be the time. This would be the hour. This would be the opportunity that you would have to alter the nature, uh, not of our elements, uh, not of this or that, but of ourselves, of ourselves. Maybe this would be the time that the power of prayer would reach out and touch our heart and touch our soul and change us into being exactly what the Lord Jesus wants us to be. Maybe there's a person in the room here that you've been praying for for a long time. I want you to pray right now for them. Pray right now for them. Ask God to help them, to lift them up, to help them to be saved if they're not saved to help them to join the church if they haven't joined the church, to help them to take a strong stand for Jesus in their life, whatever it might be that God's will would be done. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm going to stand down here at the front. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, I pray today that you slip out and slip forward and take a stand for Jesus. Let's stand as we sing together.